0: Praise the Lord. Well, tonight, y'all excited for the Word of God tonight? Not that we haven't been in the Word of God. I've just been teaching stewardship through the Word of God. But I am in a series called The Pillars of Pentecost. Say the Pillars of Pentecost. Part two. I started this uh, last week. So I'm going to give you a quick recap. I'll tell you essentially why I'm doing this is I wanted to preach this message so that you could know what you believe and why you believe it. You know, that's something that I see seriously lacking nowadays. Jesus said that those that build their life on the word of God, on his teachings, is like somebody that builds their life on a strong foundation of bedrock. You got a lot of Christians and a lot of churches where the service is like 75% music and praise and emotional and, and hallelujah, we love to praise God. But it's like 15 to 20% word. There's no word. Christians don't know what they believe. Christians don't know why they believe what they believe. Christians can't give an account for what they believe. And I'm going to tell you that if when you're a baby Christian, that's okay. But there should come a time where Paul actually said, can we move on past these elementary teachings? He said, some of you have been doing this so long, you should be teaching others. So what's God's highest call for every Christian? Not only that you know what you believe, that you could actually point to chapter and verse and tell a new believer, this is why we do what we do, this is why we believe what we believe. Come on, somebody. So I want you to know that, pillars of Pentecost. And also, I just want to establish the DNA of our church. I, want, I don't want it there to be any question about it. This is who we are, this is what we do unapologetically. Are you guys with me? You know, I see, let me give you this verse first. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27, it says, Look straight ahead, fix your eyes on what lies before you, mark out a straight path for your feet, and stay on that safe path. Why am I giving you these pillars Because by giving us, this church, these pillars, we're marking out the straight path and saying, this is the path. This is what we believe. This is what we practice. This is what we do. And we're going to stay on that path. It says, don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil again. Again. There was even whole denominations that started out Holy Ghost filled places. They they believe these things that I'm gonna talk about. They taught these things. But over the years they've begun to back off of these things. And you see this nowadays where even in churches, it's like everybody's just trying to get a little bit, of, all right, we'll have a little bit of the Holy Ghost, right? We'll get a little dash of that and sprinkle it in, and let's get a little bit of the Baptist thing going, and we'll sprinkle that in, and a little bit of the charismatic and sprinkle that in, and a little bit of secret sensitive, and, 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 and all these different ridiculous, confusing things that nobody knows what they are. Amen. And I'm not talking about, well, let's just pick one of man's traditions. Let's pick out of all of them. Let's figure out, which of man's traditions that we like, and just force ourselves to operate in that. No, I'm going to talk about the theological pillars that we stand on according to the word of God. Hallelujah. Pillars of Pentecost. Say Pentecost. Told you this. I'll briefly go over this. I'm not going to teach all this again if you weren't here. All of our sermons are available, Facebook, YouTube. Watch last week, Pillars of Pentecost, part one. But the church... When God birthed the church, I mean, the church was in its full expression, right? The church was in the blueprint of what God saw, what he desired the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be. When you look through history, the church began to deviate. You know, in about 380, about 270 years after Jesus ascended into glory, after he was resurrected, the Roman Empire began to take Christianity. And force it on people. And, and they had, you know, the Roman Empire, they were pagans. They were polytheistic. That means they believed in many gods. So they took Christianity, paganism, polytheism, they put it all together, and it birthed what was known as Roman Catholicism. Okay? not hating on Catholic people. I love Catholic people. Jesus loves Catholic people. But you can study this. Historically, the, the world went into what's known as the Dark Ages. They took the word of God out of the hands of people. Where now the common man and woman couldn't read this like we can read it today. Didn't have access to it. See, so you got a lot of things getting messed up. Amen. God... Long story short, God began to raise up people. He raised up a man named Martin Luther who who came out and protested the Catholic Church, got a hold of the Word of God, learned how to read Latin, and began to tell people that what you're being taught is not what this Word actually says. It birthed the Protestant Reformation, and we're sitting in this room today because of the Protestant Reformation. Come on, hallelujah. So throughout history, as some of those things got lost, and the church began to deviate, God raised up people to help restore the church back to the biblical model. In the early 1900s, there was a man named Charles Parham who got a revelation from the word that you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Okay, he began to teach this. He went to Kansas and taught it, then he went over to Houston and taught it, and there was a man named William Seymour. Who's ever heard of William Seymour? Let me tell you guys something amazing. William Seymour, this was in the 1905-1906. William Seymour... He was a black man that was not even allowed in the Bible college because at the time the nation was under the Jim Crow laws, right? So he actually had to sit outside and listen to the word of God, but he got a hold of this word. God put this word in him and he went to Los Angeles, California and birthed an entire revival called, that was known as the Azuzu Street Revival. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. Crazy healings, miracles, things took place and that actually birthed. Pretty much modern Christianity came from that man, William Seymour. Hallelujah. He's a spiritual general. You know, out of that, it was amazing. Because look at this. Today, what do we have? We have white people in the church, black people. But guys, I'm going to tell you, there's no white, black, yellow, polka dot, purple. We're all God's people. Come on. We were born one way, but when we came into the blood of Jesus, we got born again into the family of God. Are y'all with me? Hallelujah. And so, out of that was birthed what's known as Pentecostalism. What is Pentecostalism? I'm going to give you a definition here. It's this. Pentecostalism is Protestant charismatic Christian movement that emphasizes the direct personal experience of God. Don't try to write all this. Just take a picture if you want it for your notes because i got to get moving. It says... Personal experience of God through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So basically, Pentecostalism believes you can have an experience with God specifically through what is known as the baptism of the Holy Ghost according to the Word of God. This term Pentecostalism, uh, Pentecostal is derived from Pentecost, the event that commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and other followers of Jesus Christ they, while they were in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks as described in the Acts of the Apostles. Let me just simplify that. Pentecostalism is just simply this. What happened in Acts chapter 2 is available for people today. Come on, somebody. Whenever the, on the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts chapter 2, they were together in one place and suddenly there came a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind. And it filled the room where they were sitting. And it says, cloven tongues of fire came and settled upon each of them. And they were all baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what happened when that Holy Ghost came on them? Jesus said in Acts 1.8, they received power. Say power. power. They received power. When the Spirit came upon them and they became witnesses for Jesus Christ, telling people about him everywhere. Y'all, that's available today for us. We don't have to serve some dead religious God. We can get power from the Holy Ghost that will allow us to do what Jesus said. These signs will follow those who, say, believe. They'll cast out devils in my name. They'll speak in new languages. They'll speak in other tongues, it says they'll tread on serpents and scorpions they could drink something poisonous it won't harm them they'll place their hands on the sick and they shall recover you got so many christians that are trying to have a christianity without the power of the holy ghost and what do you got dead religion But God, thank God, God's building a house here that are full of believers that carry the power of the Holy Ghost. We're not just content sitting in here having nice services. Man, something in us has changed. We got to go out into the world and begin to go after those who Christ loves, the lost sheep. He came to save those that were lost. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Okay so here's the pillars of Pentecost there's you know I'm not going to go over the common ones like obviously the at most Christianity which it's it's hard to say today believes things like Jesus Christ is the son of God yeah. that the, the Jesus Christ came in the flesh he was crucified according to the word of God, he was buried according to the word of God, he rose from the grave according to the word of God, he ascended where now he sits at the right hand of the Father according to the word of God, and all who believe and call on his name shall be saved by faith, not by works, right? Most Christians believe that. What you would say, but honestly, you know they took a statistic that like 30 to 40% of evangelical pastors coming up, young pastors like me, they asked them, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? And they said, no, I don't believe that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? They said, no, I don't believe that. Guys, that's, so, that's false. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Man, you can't, it, people, we like to go out and win souls. We do it every single day. And we like to ask people this question. Number one, we tell them, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Can I tell everybody in the room that? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not out to get you. He's not trying to kill you. In fact, the fact that you're here today, the Bible actually says, if you say, John, you don't understand, I've been wicked, I've been a sinner, the Bible says that he's patient because he wills that none should perish but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. What does that tell you? The fact that you're alive today and breathing. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He's calling you. He's saying, man, you may have messed up, but I'll take your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. I'll remember your sins no more. I'll give you a hope and a purpose. I'll set your feet on the rock to stand. The devil may have tried to come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'll take your life and give you life and life abundantly, and I'll use you in in your generation. That's what God is saying today. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. For God so hated the world that he's mad at every. No, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Praise God. So then we like to ask people a second question. If you were to die today, Are you 100% certain that you would enter into the kingdom of heaven? You know, a lot of people, they say, no, I'm not. Well, thank God that we met you because we can change that today. Or they may say, well, I hope so. Well, you can do better than hope. You can know. Come on, somebody. Or they say yes, and we say, praise God. You, You say yes, but why do you say yes? And they say things like, well, because... I'm a good person. Guys, being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. There are great people that try to get to heaven uh, around Jesus, and I'm telling you, there is no other way. Well, you don't understand, Brother John. You know, I actually, I, one time I hauled off trash for a Catholic priest, so I believe that I'm going to go to heaven. I, great that you did that. But there's only one way, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just calling on his name, but surrendering your life to him. Counting yourself dead to the power of sin and alive in Christ. Well, it's no longer Christ who lives. uh, It's no longer us who live. It's Christ that lives in us and through us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all getting anything out of this tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's some of the pillars, right? That's pretty, you would think that's pretty across the board, ABC Christianity, right? Where you say, well, if you're Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, full gospel, Pentecost, doesn't matter. Everybody believes that. It used to be true. It's not true anymore. In fact, the Methodist church, I'm not shaming anybody, guys. I'm telling you the God honest truth. The Methodist church, not this one, or I'm saying as a corporation, as a whole just ordained their first drag queen minister who's taking things like in Romans chapter 8, that you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and they're saying, See, God, he doesn't want us to cling to old ways, that we have to change our mind. That means that we have to begin to accept new things. That means that we got to accept that, you know, God changed his standards of what marriage is. It's no longer between a one man and one woman. we got to change the way that we think about gender. It's total, I'm telling you, that's an abomination. That's a butchering of the word of God. Now, the Bible doesn't say take that verse and, and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. It means that we have to take this, this word that's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and allow it to go to work in us and begin to expose everything that's contrary to what this book says. And once it begins to expose these things, we look at it and say, Lord, look at my life. Look at my thought. My, my thought process. Look at the way that I've been being and thinking and doing. It's contrary to what your word says. But now because Jesus Christ is my Lord, I'm going to come underneath your Lordship and begin to do away with those things so that I can conform to the pattern of your word. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, so here's some of the pillars. These are the distinct pillars of Pentecost. Number one, exuberant worship. Exuberant worship. Exuberant worship. What is exuberant worship? It just means a lively worship. Say lively worship. If you guys weren't here for the worship service, you'll see we believe that in this church. We don't like, okay, everybody, let's just turn off the lights and praise God. I feel nothing right now. But Lord, you're being glorified in Jesus' name. No, the Bible says lively worship. In John 4, 23 through 24, Jesus said the time is coming when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Say spirit and truth. truth. Finistake theologian says this means to worship God with your whole soul, your whole mind, your feelings, your mind, will, your emotions, your desires. Isn't that what King David said? Let all that I am, praise the Lord. All that I am. Well, I'm, you know, I don't like the way that those people dance. Really? David danced before the Lord. Well, I'm giving God high praise. No, I'm going to dance around. I'm excited. The Bible says, are any of you happy Sing praises to God? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We went over the different forms of worship in the Bible. With the scripture, if you want this, I can give you these resources. But we said clapping and shouting. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, and shout to God with the voice of triumph. Yes. You know, do you notice how after I took up the offering, I said, come on, give the Lord a shout. That's biblical. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you people. Come on, can we practice that? On the count of three, just clap your hands and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. One, two, three. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. Praise God. The Bible says clapping and shouting. The Bible says lifting your hands. First Timothy 2.8, Psalms 134.2. The Bible says dancing. Say dancing. Well, I think that's ridiculous. Really? Just humble yourself. I promise you. Dance before the Lord. David danced before the Lord, he went like this, and he he brought the Ark of the Covenant all the way into Jerusalem, and he had this religious devil of a wife sitting up in a tower saying, you sure look dignified, David, doing all that. He said, you're dang right I look dignified, and I'll be even more undignified. Hallelujah. I don't care how I look, I'm going to praise the Lord because he's worthy of all my praise. Man, he's worthy more than just well, oh, okay, yeah, I serve the Lord. No, he's worthy of my hands being lifted. He's worthy of my voice. He's worthy of me singing. He's worthy of me humbling myself. He's worthy of me dancing. Let all that I am praise the Lord. The Bible says music, say music. music. Psalms 150, read the whole things about worshiping God with the horns, with the blast, with the, with the string instruments, with the trumpets. God likes music. Praise God. We're not being more holy, not having music in the church. God actually likes music. Singing. Say singing. Okay, so that's the first pillar of Pentecost is exuberant worship. Sound pretty good, right? Okay, the second pillar, theological pillar of Pentecostalism is this. We believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit My points from last week, you may ask, what is it? If you've never heard uh, that term, what is being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Very briefly, this is what it is. Number one, it is the promise of the new covenant. Say the promise. It's not just a promise. It was the promise. The Bible says in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. Those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Who's been water baptized in the room? Come on, a lot of people. Praise God. You should. You should be. But you still have entire denominations of Christianity staying under an old covenant. He said, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon, greater than I am, speaking of Jesus, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave or to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hallelujah. So we don't just only practice an old covenant baptism. We practice the gift. The new covenant baptism, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Hallelujah. What is the baptism of the Holy Ghost? It's the promise of the new covenant. Number two, it's when you're endued with power for service. Hallelujah. You're endued with power. God, the spirit of the Lord comes upon you and it empowers you for service unto the Lord. That word baptism in the Greek, it literally means submerging. And I'll get to this point in just a moment. But, you know, when you're saved, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Bible says that his spirit joins with your spirit to affirm that you're God's children. I'm not saying, if you say I've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, I'm not saying you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But the Bible doesn't only teach, teach about the, the new birth, that salvation. It teaches a secondary event where the Spirit of the Lord, you're submerged. Say submerged. That means that you're not just a cup, right? Imagine you're a cup, and God fills you with the Holy Ghost, That salvation. That means you're an empty cup. He fills you up. Now it fills to the top, and now, well, I got the Spirit in me. Submerged is God taking that cup and dunking it in a fish tank. Now the water's not just in you. It's on you. It's beside you. It's all around you. It's above you. It's below you. You're completely saturated. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. You shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And what will this power do? It will cause you to be a witness for me, telling people about me everywhere. Man, how come more Christians don't got the power of the Holy Ghost? Because God doesn't anoint you to sit in the Lazy Boy and lick Cheeto stains off your fingers. If somebody gets a passion in them saying, you know what, I want to go after souls. And man, I'm sick of sin. My generation bound by the devil. I'm sick of seeing this drug problem. I'm sick of seeing this depression that's causing our, our, our teens to kill themselves and commit suicide. Man, I'm sick and tired of seeing people walking in and out of Walmart bound by sickness and disease by the devil. Somebody's got to do something about it. I'm telling you, if your heart will get geared in that direction, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and he'll anoint you with the same Holy Ghost that Jesus Christ in the flesh was anointed with. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I tell you the truth. Actually, write this point down. This happened to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. When Jesus came out of the water of baptism, it says the, the heavens were open and the Spirit of the Lord ascended upon him like a dove. You know, we have no record of Jesus performing one miracle before that time. There's no record of Jesus through his childhood. There's one when he was born, he fled to Egypt, and when he was 12 years old, he went to the temple. That's the only glimpses we have of Jesus in his childhood, in his early adulthood. You don't even see Jesus until that moment, water baptism. After 30 years, he emerges from just being this normal person, right? Remember when he went to his own hometown, they say, aren't you the carpenter's son? Didn't our daughters go to school with your daughters? You know, he was like a normal person. He wasn't 12 years old, right, like the Quran teaches, putting heads back on pigeons that his brother was chopping off with a machete. Here, let me put the head back on. He didn't do any miracles until he was baptized. And when he came out of that water, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And the first thing that happened was he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted. And after he passed that temptation, it says he came out of the wilderness filled with power from the Holy Ghost. And he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Man, I'm telling you, and, and it's, it's the same thing for us today. This happened to Jesus, and it's, it's a gift to all of his followers today. He said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone, say anyone. Did he say apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors? No, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is when God bestows power on you and me to carry out the ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you that I go than I stay. Why? You know that when Jesus came to the earth, as he was God, the word of God, he literally became flesh and dwelt among us, according to John chapter one. But he, it says that he actually stripped himself of all of his divine privileges. So you know that he came as a man, flesh and blood. So that means Jesus wasn't like God in the sense of when he was in his fleshly body where he could be everywhere at one time. I can be in Jerusalem. I can be in Judea and Samaria, and I can be in uh, Corinth, and I can be in Rome, and I can be over in North America with the Native Americans. I can be in all these places at one time, and I can be in Africa, and I can be in South America with the, with the Aztec people. And No, he was one man, right? One man filled with the Holy Ghost that went around, with the anointing from heaven, breaking the yoke of bondage off of people. So why did he say it's better for you that I go? And his disciples are sitting here shocked. What do you mean? How could you say that it's better that you go? He said, because I'll send the advocate. Who's the advocate? Meaning the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Now, instead of there just being one of me, you can come in through my blood and be made righteous and, de- and cleansed and declared holy before the Lord. And you'll become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And now instead of it just being one man anointed from heaven, there can be thousands of men, thousands of women, thousands of people with the same spirit on them doing the same thing that he did. Healing the sick. Say healing the sick. Breaking the power of hell. Hallelujah. Y'all, you know, all it takes to change your family is one person getting full of the Holy Ghost and power, one person and going into your family with the love of God, but being like a rod that just goes in there and starts breaking up hundreds of years of bondage that the enemies tried to put on your family, setting it free. Hallelujah. Your kids don't have to serve the devil. They can serve the Lord in Jesus name. They can be blessed by God in Jesus' name. Praise God. So, here's one of the points of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is separate from receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation. Points last week, we said number one, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, according to Ephesians 1:13 through 14, Romans 8, 9. Write those down and look them up. I've got to keep moving. But number two, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is a secondary experience. Just a few verses here in Acts chapter 2, 38 through 39. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel for the first time to 3,000 men, plus women and children. They heard the gospel and they say, What must we do with what you're saying? And he said, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See, so he's saying what? Repent, turn to God, be baptized, Right, make that, make that decision today to serve the Lord and, and come under the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, then, say then. Did he say before? No, then means after. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, hallelujah. Look at, uh, in fact, in John chapter 20, 19 through 22, the disciples' first experience that they had with Jesus, that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. They received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. But if you flip the page, what do you get? Acts chapter 1. And then what is he telling them? Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that the Father promised you. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. How does that make sense? They just received the Holy Spirit when he breathed on them in John 20, yet he told them to wait till they received the gift. What does that tell you? The gift of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the receiving of the Holy Ghost at salvation are two separate and distinct things. Hallelujah. Here was the conclusion with last week, and it was this. Although... One is saved by faith in the lordship and resurrection of Jesus. Every believer should seek to be endued with power for the work of the Lord, being world evangelism. Well, Brother John, I've been saved. Praise God. If you've been saved, every, say every believer has to get hungry, has to get thirsty, has to go to the upper room, just like the, the disciples did, and wait Until they receive it. To get on their knees and get before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm believing you to baptize me, submerge me. Lord, uh, dip me in the kerosene of thy spirit and light me ablaze. And seek that empowerment from God to go and be a, a, a worker for the Lord and to carry out the purposes of God being world evangelism. Praise God. And then today, there's... A very short teaching. I'm going to take about the next 20 minutes. Y'all, like, man, it seems like we've been in here forever. It's only literally been like an hour and 38 minutes. Y'all still good? All right, I'll get you out of here about eight o'clock. How's that sound? Praise God. Okay, so today, under the baptism of the Holy Ghost, this is a pill, this is huge. This is a big point here. This is one of the points that I see many ministries getting away from. That I want to just drive it home. Even if you know it, I want to drive it home. I want to just take it to the extra level in your heart today, okay? And it's this A believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. A believer is baptized with the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking in tongues, what does that mean? The evidence that a person has been baptized in the Holy Ghost, according to the scripture, is speaking in other tongues. Again, I've seen people deviating from this. I've seen denominations that were built on this. Start teaching people like, well, you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and, but you don't necessarily have to speak in tongues, amen. You know, maybe you, the whole, being baptized in the Holy Ghost is about power amen so you can walk in the power but you don't got to speak in tongues and they're getting away from from tongues being the initial evidence of somebody that's that's filled receives the baptism of the holy ghost why would why would we get away from that i'll tell you why because people are afraid of it because it makes people feel uncomfortable are y'all with me because it's not popular you start speaking in tongues, man. Maybe one of those big tithe-paying dudes that, that are tied up in some junk ain't going to like that and they ain't going to write the fat tithe check to your church no more, so we got to back off the things of the Spirit of God. Are you guys with me? But according to the Scripture, it is the initial evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is referred to as the gift, not a gift, If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the gift of the Holy Ghost? Say the gift. So when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you receive the gift. What's the gift? Say the Holy Ghost. Say he is the gift. And that gift of the Holy Ghost manifests in nine specific ways. What are those nine specific ways? They're what's known as the gifts of the Spirit. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe some of you have heard things like this, but here's the gifts of the Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, faith, healing, the working of miracles. This is where people get it wrong. They believe that God just gives you a gift, right? Right? You're going you're to get saved, and the Lord's going to wave some kind of wand, and you'll receive the gift to prophesy. And you'll just receive the gift of healing. And you'll receive the gift to do this thing or to do that thing. You don't receive the manifestation. You receive the gift, which is the Holy Ghost, that, that manifests in nine different ways. It's the same, different gifts, but the same spirit. Say the same spirit. Hallelujah. Hey, Teresa. Love you. Good to see you. Nine different ways. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So out of these nine different gifts, and I'm not going to teach on the gifts tonight. That's not really my point. Out of these nine different gifts, tongues is the initial gift or the evidence that one has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? So there's nine different gifts. I just went through that list of nine. Nowhere in the Bible did they get filled with the Holy Ghost and this begin to discern of spirits, Get filled with the Holy Ghost and begin the working of miracles. The initial evidence was the gift of tongues. First, say first. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Hallelujah. You see that? So the first time when when this gift's poured out, what happened? It came on them, and, and the first thing that happened, they began speaking in other tongues. Okay, look at the next time. Now, so the church starts moving forward. It's just happening Only in Jerusalem, right? This whole move of God's just taking place in Jerusalem. So now finally, God opens the door for the gospel to be taken outside of Jerusalem to the rest of the people of the world, which is where we got it today. That happens in Acts chapter 10. Peter goes into the house of a Gentile man named Cornelius and begins to preach the gospel to his household, right? So it says this, even as Peter was saying these things, he was preaching about Jesus to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. How did they know? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Acts 2, filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues. Acts 10, baptized with the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues. So this is where that term comes from. It's the evidence. Say the evidence. How did they know that the Gentiles had been endued with power? Because they heard them speaking in other tongues. They heard these Gentiles speaking in tongues, and they said, hey, that's the same thing that happened to us in Acts chapter 2. So it was actually the sign that somebody had received it. Acts chapter 19. Turn your Bibles there. Acts chapter 19. Praise God. Y'all getting something out of this tonight? Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Say believers. Were these unbelievers? No, these were believers. Look at this. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no. They replied, we hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism? Say baptism. So he's not just talking about, did you get the Spirit when you were saved? He's talking about specifically the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Right? You shall receive power, this Acts chapter 2 experience. So I want you to see that. Apparently, you can be a believer and not be baptized in the Holy Ghost. So just because you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you're not a believer. But what I am going to tell you is the good news is if you're a believer, there's more for you guys. Come on, there's more for you. You say, Man, I feel like I've capped out. I got saved when I was eight years old. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. But I'm telling you, there's so there's a whole nother level with God that you have not even begun to. St- to realize until you receive what I'm talking about today, something tangible literally comes on your life and it changes you, man. It the anointing of the Holy Ghost it breaks the yoke of bondage off of your life. It's hard to be a defeated Christian when this power, when the power of the Holy Ghost comes on your life. It's like it's impossible. Just to be walking around sad and defeated. and There's a fire. Say a fire. Because he didn't only say, I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John said he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's that fire? It's the fire that comes with the Spirit. And guess what that fire does? It consumes every part of you. Man, it consumes every part of your being. Hallelujah. Man, it's like there's not not 12 steps to recovery, guys. I'm telling you, there's not. And thank God that some of those things have helped people. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to bash on something that's helped somebody. Glad it helped you. But I'm telling you, you don't have to stay in this long, drawn-out process. You can get the fire of the Holy Ghost, and in one moment, you can be one way, and in a second later, you can be transformed into a totally different person. Totally different person. Hallelujah. Who was here this weekend for evangelist John Duke? You heard his testimony. He said he was sitting on a toilet with a gun, ready to blow his brains out. Just totally done. And he and he was drug addicted. He said he was smoking a joint, listening to Tupac, while this was happening. And and he in he was beating his wife, all this crazy stuff, and he said that he had heard the gospel, the seed of the gospel had been planted in him just a few weeks before. And he sat there on that toilet, and he just told the Lord, he said, Lord, if you're real, touch me now, if you're real. And he said that he heard a voice speak from heaven saying, Son, I love you. And he said that the power of God came and hit him right there while he was sitting on that toilet seat. And he said, literally, it startled his wife because the next morning, she got up and he was in the kitchen, literally just racking in all his prescription meds and all his antidepressants, just putting them in the trash can. He had opened the freezer and she was freaking out because she he was dumping the bottle of vodka out of the freezer. And he said that it was just it, it was crazy. Within one week, his wife got saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost because of the instantaneous transformation that took place. This was a drug-addicted, bound heathen. Man in bondage, and in one moment the next day, he's a totally different person. Hallelujah. So you can be a believer, but they were believers, but they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Ghost. He said, what baptism did you experience? They said, John's baptism. That means water baptized, right? They had been water baptized. You may say, John, I've been water baptized. Praise God. There's more for you, though. John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And there was about 12 men in all. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19... Baptized the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues. Hallelujah. Again, I don't, know, I don't know why this is being backed off of, but you may ask the question, right? There's nine different gifts. There's nine gifts. Why tongues? Why wasn't it they got baptized in the Holy Ghost and they just began to operate in the gift of faith, right? That's less freaky. People will be most, you say, less freaky. I don't know. Smith Wigglesworth operated in the, in the gift of faith. He did some, I'm telling you guys, when someone gets the gift of faith, you may not want to get in the healing line unless you're serious. There was a healing minister in the 1800s named Smith Wigglesworth that people would come up into his healing line and he'd look them in the eyes. What's wrong with you? Oh, man, I got stage four stomach cancer. Oh, okay. Boom, he'd punch him right in the stomach. They'd roll over and fall on the ground and vomit out black sludge and get up completely healed. They'd say stuff like, Smith, why do you hit people? And he said, I don't hit people, I hit the devil and people get in the way. (laughs) Somebody brought a dead baby to Smith Wigglesworth. He grabbed that baby and tossed it against the wall. And when it hit the wall, it hit the ground and it came back to life, started crying and breathing. I'm telling you, it was the gift of faith. I mean, I'm going to tell you, if you don't got the gift of faith, you better not be throwing no babies against the wall. You're going to prison if you do that. Don't go hitting people unless you got, I'm telling you, you better believe this person's getting healed before you start punching people. Just, wah, left hook. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But why tongues? Why is tongues the first thing that manifested? You know, And I'll tell you why, because I really believe this, and you can write this down. Tongues is a one-stop shop for a new believer. I'll tell you briefly. I'm not going to teach all about tongues, the ins and outs, but I'll tell you briefly. Let's see here. One, two, three, four, five different things that the Bible says about the gift of tongues. It is truly the gift every brand-new believer needs to have. And why? Tongues, help, it will help you pray God's perfect will. First things that tongues does, according to Romans 8, 26, it will help you pray in the perfect will of God. In fact, it says that when you don't know what you ought to pray, you can pray in the Spirit, and God's Spirit will make intercession for you and through you, and basically praying you in harmony with God's perfect will. That's powerful. You guys, I want you to tell you, tell you how powerful that is. Did you know that Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom? I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I'll give my church the keys of the kingdom. And he said, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. Whatever you allow on earth, I'll allow it in heaven. You know, then that's the thing about it is that for a lot of times, we're sitting here asking God to do something. But did you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ? All of God's promises have already been fulfilled in Christ. With God, God has given his ultimate yes and amen, the Bible says. So, so understand this. We're asking God, Lord... There's this mountain that, that's come up in my life. There's this financial mountain. There's a mountain of sickness and disease. There's an enemy that seems to be attacking me. Lord, will you please remove it out of the way? But what did Jesus say? You bind it, and I'll come behind you. You loose it, and I'll come behind you. He said in Mark eleven twenty two through 24, if you speak to the mountain, you can command it to move. He didn't say, ask him. He said, no, you speak to it because you have the keys of the kingdom. But for a lot of believers, they don't know that. They're sitting here asking God to do this, asking God, and they're totally not. He's like, why are you asking me? I gave you all authority in my name to do these things. So here's the most amazing thing about the Holy Ghost. As you're a new believer learning these things, you say, well, I don't know how to bind things. I don't know how to move mountains. I don't know how to break the power of the enemy. You can pray in other tongues, and God's Spirit will pray through you in harmony with God's perfect will. What is the Spirit doing? He's binding things. He's loosing things. He's moving things. He's bringing things. That's powerful. Why why tongues first? Because it will help you pray God's perfect will. Number two, because it will allow you to give high praise to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 17. When you pray in tongues, you will be giving thanks very well, the Bible says. So if we want to praise God, he said people will worship him in spirit and in truth. When you lift your hands and you begin to pray in other tongues, you're actually giving God high praise, a high form of praise. Praise the Lord. There's so many benefits that come with praise and, and giving thanks to God. So many different things that'll benefit your life from praising God. I'm not gonna teach on that tonight. But what else happens when you pray in tongues? When you pray in tongues, you build up your spirit, man. Did you know that you're you're not a one part being, you're a three part being? You actually are not the flesh that you see, that's not who you are. You're a spirit. Do you know that? You're a spirit, but you have a body. You have a flesh, and you have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions. So in Jude 1, 20, it says, Building each other up in your most holy faith by praying by the power of the Spirit. You know, there's times that you feel weak. Anybody ever woke up and said, man, I just feel weak today? Man, today, I just don't really feel like following Christ today. Today, I just feel, why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel defeated? Well, you need to build up your spirit, man. You need to strengthen your spirit. You need to get the creatine shake, shake it up of the spirit and drink it and get, you know, get some protein flow into the spirit, man. That's what the Bible says that when you begin to pray in the spirit, you begin to build up your inner man. Strengthening yourself, edifying yourself. So, what happens is you begin to pray in tongues. Guess what? Strength's coming. Praise God. Power's coming from the Lord. You know, I feel depressed. Why don't you get up and pray in tongues as long as it takes till that depression flees in Jesus' name? Just start doing what Wigglesworth did. He'd get up and dance and praise God. And you may look like a crazy person, but dance around and say, Lord, I'm just gonna praise you. I'm gonna pray in the spirit. And guys, watch, the joy of the Lord will begin to fill you. The joy of the Lord will fill you. What happens when you pray in tongues? You release the glory of God. It's a release of the glory of God. To give this to you quickly and briefly, and all throughout the Bible, if you looked at when God appeared to Moses, it says he appeared to him in a bush like a flame of fire, right? So God's presence all throughout the Bible was this: uh, uh, two things, a cloud and a flame. When God appeared on Mount Sinai, he appeared in both a cloud and a flame. When God led the Israelites to the wilderness, he led them by a flame by the night, a cloud by the day. That that flame, whenever that flame consumed that bush, God spoke to Moses and said, Remove your shoes, for this is holy ground in which you stand. What does that tell you? That flame, it was the raw Shekinah glory presence of God. It was the raw presence of God is what that flame represented. Okay, so these Jewish boys, they understood that. They knew that. So imagine in Acts chapter 2, when the Bible says suddenly there appeared cloven tongues like flames of fire that began to fill the room that they were in, they, what was it? It was the glory of God. The glory of God that was on that bush that was burning. The glory of God that was on the mountain of Sinai. The glory of God that was leading them by the, by, uh, through the wilderness during the nighttime. The glory of God that filled the temple. It began to fill that room, and it said that glory came, and it settled on them. Imagine a fire coming. And they knew this fire, it represented the Shekinah glory of God. And it just sits on this little girl here, and it disappears onto the inside of her. What does that mean? Now you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now that glory, he's not in the Holy of Holies, he's not on the Mount Sinai, he's in you and he's in me, right? So what's the first thing that happened when that glory came in them? They began to speak in other tongues. It's why. I really believe this. It's because God was showing them how to let out what just came in. In the Azusa Street Revival, before they would preach, before they would teach, they would all come together, thousands of people, and they would sing in tongues, sing in the spirit, until the glory of God filled the room. They said literally that there was times the fire truck would pull up and, and begin to come into the meeting like, what's going on? We got reports from all over the city that your building was on fire. There was flames coming out the top of your building. And they look and they're like, there's no smoke. There's no fire. What was it? It was the glory, Shekinah glory of God. There's people that only 20 or 30 years ago were still alive that were kids in the Azusa Street Revival. And they said as kids that after an hour, sometimes two hours, that a cloud would literally fill the room. And they remember being small children playing hide and seek in the glory cloud. Guys, I'm telling you, this is crazy. People would come in that were amputees, and that man, William Seymour, that I told you about, would begin to pray. And it's like the glory of the Lord would come on this person. It was so thick, you couldn't even see. And whenever it kind of decimated, where there was no leg, where there was no arm, they had completely regrown a leg, regrown an arm, and received a miracle from the Lord. Y'all think this is just folklore. No, there are actual newspaper documentations about these miracles that took place. So what is, what's the point? It's like, what do I do when there seems like there's chaos in my house? What do I do when I feel like there's, my kids are going nuts, my spouse is going crazy, right? I'm sure Carissa's got to pray in tongues all the time around me. What do I do? I need the glory of God to come and fill this place. I need what's in me to manifest out here. Start praying in other tongues and releasing the glory of God. Hallelujah. And then finally, it's this. What else is tongues? It's armor against the enemy. I'll actually read you this last thing before I let you go here tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. Turn there in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6. Y'all enjoy this tonight? You got a word bath tonight. Amen. That's what we need, though. We need the Word of God. Our kids need the Word of God. America needs the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Say, every piece. What does that mean? That means every bit, nothing left out, right? Nothing left out. What is God's armor? And then let me ask you this. Is God's armor for certain Christians or is it for all Christians? Oh, it's for all Christians. I'll I'll prove it to you. He says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you can resist the enemy in the time of evil. You know, we don't ever have to be defeated by Satan. God actually gave us tools to walk in perpetual victory over the enemy. The, you know, you, that's all you ever hear from Christians is like, oh, Brother John, you, you don't understand. The devil did this. The devil did that. Are you kidding me? You don't ever have to suffer one more loss from the hand of the devil again for the rest of your life. Say never again. Never again. Nothing but blessing. Hallelujah. Because he said, if you'll put on the armor of God, you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the helmet of truth. So again, truth. Is truth for some Christians or all Christians? Oh, it's for all Christians. Put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Is righteousness for some Christians or all Christians? Oh, for all Christians. Put on shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news. Is peace for some Christians or all Christians? All Christians. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith. Is faith for some Christians or all Christians? Oh, it's for all. You can't even be saved without faith. You can't please God without faith. Put on salvation as your helmet. is, Is salvation for some Christians or all Christians? Okay. Finally, it says take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Is the word of God for some Christians or all Christians? Oh, it's for all Christians. And then everybody stops. But look at the next verse. In addition, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for believers everywhere. Well, I'm a, I'm a, you know what? We believe in faith and salvation and peace, but we don't believe in that speaking in tongues. Well, what in the heck are you talking about? Why are you separating it from the rest of the Bible? What do you do with verse 18? Mark it out? Oh, well, let's just put white out right there. And just pretend like it's not there. No, it is there. And it's actually, it's, it's a weapon against the enemy. Again, it's that whole binding. It's that whole loosing. There may be a devil. I'm telling you guys right now. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God will spare you. Jeez, Louise, from so many things. I wonder how many times I've been driving down the highway, and it's like the Spirit knew there was a semi-truck, somebody was falling asleep, and that truck was meant to merge on over into my lane and run me and my family off and kill us in a car accident. But the Holy Ghost came on me, and and, and I felt, you need to start praying in the Spirit. Here I am just driving down the road. All right, I'm going to start praying in tongues. And and literally, what happens? Power goes out. Angels go out. Things are loose. Things are bound. and, And I'm literally rescued from that situation. You have no idea what god's doing what needs to be done but the holy ghost who sees all things sees those things and when you pray in the spirit you're praying in harmony with god's perfect will hallelujah lord bless them for being hearers of the word in jesus name if you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the lord is doing Check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.